Welcome back to Voices by Viv. I'm your host, Riley Conroy, and today I am joined by Rachel Eng. Thanks so much for being here, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm super excited to, to dive in um, and get to know a little bit more about you. Um, but before we kind of jump into anything else, I'd love to hear just sort of how you got involved with Viv and kind of what your interest was in the period care space in general and what kind of motivated you to get involved. Sure, definitely. Um, so I'm currently a fifth year at Northeastern in their Bachelor's of Health Science and combined Master's of Public Health program. So it's like a four plus one program. And I, as part of my Master's of Public Health, I have to do a practicum, which is essentially a 200 hour like internship work experience that has to do with public health. But beyond that, they don't really give that many guidelines because they're looking for you to explore your own interests and things like that, things like that. So I started looking for a practicum and what I had in mind was that I wanted to work for a startup because I'm really passionate about startups and entrepreneurship. And the whole goal behind public health is kind of creating better health for everyone and also increasing like healthcare accessibility and equity and things like that. And so um, one of those things that um, I'm passionate about in that area is women's health and like increasing accessibility to women's health products. Um, including period care or also just like general women's health um, care. So I thought that when I found Viv, this was like the perfect meshing of those like two interests. And so um, I worked this past semester as the strategic partnerships intern. And so I was like helping grow our partnerships with other brands and also like organizations and things like that and helping Viv as they grew rapidly during this time. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting to hear how Viv, like, which you might not necessarily like off the top think of as like a public health company, can be sort of like woven into your kind of curriculum because it does have that access um, kind of component with it. Um, so maybe I can ask you a little bit more about that. Maybe you can speak to sort of how you see period care and like accessibility to period care products and sort of the affordability of all that. How do you see that fitting into like the overarching public health world yeah um so i think that um first of all because um viv has sustainability as like their number one mission um overall like environmental health is also a really big part of public health um since like what we put in our earth and also our bodies like ultimately impacts the health of the people living on earth and ourselves and so I think that was like one of the other factors which like tied public health together. And so what I really got interested in about like the sustainability component of that was that I didn't realize like how how toxic like current period care products are until I honestly like talked to Katie because this is in a space that I'm like super familiar with. So I thought it would be really interesting to learn more about it and kind of grow my expertise in that area by joining this. And then um, in speaking to like the accessibility and affordability of period care, as we know, like the products are not super cheap and they often are like tax, like known as the pink tax. And so that can create like a disproportionate burden on people who are like lower socioeconomic status or might not have access to places where they can buy period care easily and things like that. And so that creates like even more problems because for all people who menstruate, like period care is a must have basically. And so they not being able to access it at an affordable price point or not being able to afford products that are healthy for them and don't cause their bodies 
um, harm. Um, those two things like place a burden on their overall like ability to achieve like a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, totally. I've read things before about how like, I mean, obviously like tampons are not free, but like how, what is it like Viagra is like not taxed or something like that. There's like comparable things like that are like men would use that, that don't have the same sort of pink tax that we see with like feminine care products and things like that. And I think like for a lot of people, it's just not something that people really, I guess, I guess more and more now people are becoming aware of it, but for so long, like, I don't think anyone understood like period care products are a necessity, right? Like that's, that's just kind of the baseline, like something that you need when you're menstruating. So that's really interesting. And it is, it's interesting that you mentioned the, um, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Sorry, I was just going to say it's actually interesting you brought up the Viagra example because, like, that's not even really a necess- like a necessity for people to, like, achieve. Like, it could be construed as that, but, like, the reality is, like, period care has no male equivalent. And so it's, like, so frustrating when people try to, like, frame it in that way. Yeah, totally. True. Like, Viagra would totally be a luxury good that, but, like, maybe there's a scenario where you would need that. But still, like, that's probably for some like ultimate purpose, like if you're trying to have a child or something like that, you need that. But periods are, there's no like, they just are, they're just a part of like, yeah. <laughs> right? so like, it's just kind of the baseline um, for like having that access. And also like, what I love about Viv is that the subscription model also think, I think makes it like a lot more accessible. And I think it's a great thing now with like, everyone kind of being at home and not having to like go out and you know, make extra trips to the store if they run out of period care products and having it like shipped straight to your door is, um, you know, I think a convenience factor. Do you see that being like helpful in the accessibility space in terms of like a public health standpoint? Or like, how do you think that factors in? Yeah, definitely. I think um, in terms of like ease of accessibility, having a subscription model really helps people who might a be too busy to go to the store and like refill their products or they might not live close enough to a store where they could just pop over and like grab it and so like having the subscription where you almost don't need to worry about it is extremely helpful and then also um i believe like viv's pricing model like against major competitors is just more um cost effective for people so like those two factors combined like really improve the accessibility again like the equity of like of like accessing these products for people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I always think about like, you know, people who are too busy to go to the store, like maybe folks who um, like might be working multiple jobs or just have a lot on their plate. But I didn't really think so much about like, you know, if you live somewhere rural and you don't have like a convenience store like two minutes away, how that can be like a barrier to accessibility. That's a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. Yeah, definitely. You brought up um, just when you were talking about kind of like the environmental factors and the um, sort of like Viv's clean products. I know you mentioned prior to this call that you were interested in infectious diseases. And just because I'm curious, and we can always edit this out if you don't feel like talking about it. I've been reading a lot about like the COVID vaccine and like folks trying to or pharmaceutical companies like running these trials and wanting to get like representative populations involved in the trials so that they can have like the generalizability of the of the studies whatever and I was reading an article today about how like a lot of black communities are just hesitant to enroll in the trials and they have some of like the lowest enrollment rates uh, compared to population just because of the sort of long-standing history of systemic racism in the medical space And I just thought it was really interesting how they were talking about how, like, 
obviously it's really necessary for to have a representative population in the kind of sample size of the the trial for a vaccine because some of those environmental factors can impact like the efficacy and the actual safety of the um, like the drug or the vaccine once it's actually pulled out. But just in general, like I'd love to hear your thoughts on like accessibility and like COVID and the vaccine. And if you have any thoughts around that, just because I think that's top of mind for a lot of people right now. Yeah, I think it's super relevant. And like, this is something that we talk about in my classes, like every day. So it's, it's funny that you bring it up. But um, I think kind of going back to what you were saying about like how there's a long-standing history of systemic racism unfortunately like in the medical community like for black people it has created a lot of issues because not only is I like a lot of people feel like they're not able to trust the medical system and things like that but then it's also harder to develop um, public health interventions and things like that when we can't get the um, high level of participation needed to prove if things like vaccines or other interventions like are efficient and are safe for usage. Um, and one thing about like the accessibility for even the clinical trials, not only like is it super important to enroll like such a diverse population to make sure that each group, not only like from environmental or like geographical locations, but also like race, race and ethnicity are represented. Another added factor to that dilemma is that because of COVID, a lot of people are kind of stuck at home unless they have to work outside. And so usually clinical trials run with people going to the nearest hospital or like general practitioner to go and like get the treatments or the vaccine and then track their progress. And so they're seeing like an added um, layer of problems with that because people might not want to go outside and go to the doctor or things like that. So not only do we have like hesitancy to enroll in the trial for like moral or like uh, moral reasons are just like thought reasons, but it's also just like the added transportation issues. And so I think that like working to overcome those barriers, whether it's like providing like safe transportation for people participating in the trial or even like going into the communities that you are looking to include in your trial and making it so easy for them to be part of it. Like those are ways that that we can like increase the accessibility of participating in these trials and therefore like increase the accessibility of the future vaccine for people as well. Yeah, that's, I was, I was reading about like kind of a, an article in response to like folks concerns, specifically black folks concerns about like the, the vaccine and kind of one of like the solutions or like just sort of things that it brought to light as like being necessary is like communities of color need to know that like if they're participating in the trial, they're also going to have like equitable access to the vaccine once there actually like is a vaccine that's, that's ready to be distributed. And I think there's like a lot of lack of insurance and lack of kind of accountability with like the big pharmaceutical companies. So there's just a lot of mistrust and like, there's just a lot of barriers. And I don't think I realized kind of prior to seeing this, like, kind of unfold with the COVID vaccine. I didn't realize how many layers like go into clinical trials and things like that and how many like levels of accessibility there are to kind of get that equitable um, representation. So that's really interesting. I'm glad I got your perspective. It makes a lot of sense that you're talking about that in class. <laughs> I was just reading about it today. So I thought you'd be a good person to talk with it about that. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely something that I feel like I could like talk about with people for hours just because it's so interesting and it's such a relevant topic right now. Yeah. I also think that's that's a conversation that I hope kind of gets like more broadly brought into the media because I think it's it's definitely like 
a more technical lens when it comes to COVID to like talk about like the vaccine process and trials and representation. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a conversation that, you know, everyday Americans are, are ready to have or are, like equipped to talk about. But I think it's really important to, to discuss and have that kind of be more widely known about like what goes into that and why some, some kind of populations might be hesitant to even get the vaccine or, you know, participate in the trial because I just don't think that's like a super well-known sort of space. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I definitely agree that the average person probably doesn't know very much about that. Like even I'm like learning about it now. So I wouldn't have like necessarily like sought out that information had I not been in these classes and things like that. But it's also interesting that you brought up like how these communities need to to feel like they can trust the pharmaceutical companies that if they're participating in these trials, that they will also be able to make sure that other people in those communities are receiving the vaccine as well. And so it has been really interesting to see how the government is like laying out their plans for the distribution of the vaccine and making sure like that the communities of highest priority like will get the vaccine first, because I think a lot of people have mistrust in the government's ability to do that. Like we've seen with the testing, there are people who are able to access testing, like um, major league sports players and things like that, while there are people like literally waiting online for hours to get one test. So it, I think it's, it's a little disheartening to see that, but I mean, I'm hoping that like that trend like won't continue to vaccine delivery. Um, because also like not only are those communities like less likely to have trust in the government, but they're also like the ones being severely impacted by um, by COVID, just like people who are um, in communities of lower income or people of color and things like that. And also they're more likely to have to go to work and be those like frontline everyday workers. So just like the disproportionate burden has um, been very, a big challenge for public health. And so it's a really big like discussion topic for sure. Yeah. And, and off of that, I was also reading today that another one of the kind of challenges or like things that, that we have to like work through is ensuring that if anyone who participates in the trial for whatever reason is like injured or gets sick or like has any kind of like negative repercussion from it, that they're like treated and like compensated as such. And because like people of color and specifically black people are disproportionately or like overrepresented in like the uninsured department there's like this concern about will i you know if if i sign up for the trial and i'm uninsured or even if i am insured like will i be and if something goes wrong like if i get sick or if i get injured in some way like will i be treated will i be like will i receive quality health care to like make up for the fact that like this wasn't supposed to happen and it's really interesting because i had i hadn't thought about that because obviously like you hope nothing happens but these are trials right like you you're, mm-hmm. there's, there's kind of those potentials like that's what they're looking for and i i think i sort of naively was like oh i ever signed up for a trial like why not like what could possibly go wrong because i think i just i just kind of without really thinking about it just thought it was a kind of straightforward process but like there's a lot of layers and there's a lot to think about yeah for sure uh, well, thank you for entertaining me on that <laughs> Go on all day, but that's slightly off topic. I'd love to maybe switch gears a little bit. You talked a little bit about how um, obviously you're involved with Viv and you've worked for some other startups before. And you mentioned to me before the call that you were previously in a, a very male dominated startup and now you're working for Viv, which is you know, women founded and, and all women in the company. Can you talk a little bit about like 
the differences, good or bad, between working in those two very different environments. As a young woman who's like interested in the entrepreneur space, like maybe how you saw probably two very different sides of what like a startup looks like from those perspectives. Yeah, definitely. I think so. My first experience working at a startup was at a very early stage tech startup that did Salesforce consulting um, for other companies. And so the the entire team was about like five people, but they were all male and they were all like in the they're older, um, probably like in their above 40s and things like that. And so like when I first like entered that job, um, granted, I was a just grad like a just finished my freshman year. So I was a lot younger and had never really worked at a company before. But the environment was definitely very intimidating. And I felt like I was definitely like an intern I even got snacks one time for everyone in the office so um, it, it was a very interesting experience and it's not that they were not welcoming or they did not make me feel like I was like doing positive work for the company because like I definitely w- was able to do a lot of things and, and kind of play the jack of all trades hat and work on projects that I hadn't done before and they taught me how to use certain systems and things like that but I feel like um, coming to Viv now after having several internships, I'm definitely a little more confident in my own professional experience and like what I can bring to the table. But also just with such a young environment of like female founders, I feel like the environment is so much more collaborative and like everyone is clearly very passionate about what they do. And um, in our like team meetings, like we always try to talk about like our personal lives too, and kind of actually have like personal relationships with each other. And I think that's super cool because that really fosters an environment where like anyone from like the top down can feel like they have a say in like where the company goes or like decisions that the company makes. And so like even as just an intern, I was able to like take on a lot of responsibility and spend like communications that went like externally and things like that and I think having an opportunity to like have that much responsibility really motivated me to then step up and like bring my best work because I know that like not only is it reflecting on me but also like the company as a whole yeah absolutely I think that kind of I guess like transparency or like accountability across the um, company is like really great like you said it really fosters a, a positive environment if you feel like you like know who you're working for and you have like a a strong relationship with your boss, like it's, it's definitely more motivating. Um, and I also just think in general, like it's really nice probably to be able to look up to a young female CEO who's like absolutely killing it and like see yourself (laughs) doing that. Like, I mean, you're basically already doing that. You mentioned to me, you have some entrepreneurial endeavors. (laughs) Uh, you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I could definitely talk about it later, but I I definitely agree, like, having, being able to see, like, Katie, Izzy, and Catherine, and, like, how, how I'm personally, like, not that far off in age from them, like, probably, like, a year, and, like, see how much they've done, like, in such a short time after graduating, that's super inspiring, and, like, really, like, makes me feel like, oh, like, I could really do anything, like, that sort of thing. Um, and then I also really love that like Viv just started doing like a mentorship program for the interns. So like we each get like um, someone on the team to kind of meet with on like a weekly or, or whatever time you set up basis. And it not only is it like talking about your work at Viv, but also like your future career aspirations. And I think that's like super unique for especially such a small company. And it shows that not only are they like investing in, in you as like an employee, but also like as a person. Yeah. It's so like 
kind of validating to feel like a company cares about your success, like not just with the company, but just in general. Um, and I love that even at a small company as a, at a small startup that I'm sure has like a million other things to do that you're, you're making time for that. And that they're like prioritizing that. Cause I think it's really important. Um, and I do think ultimately that is like what, what makes a good team and what makes a successful company is like caring for the, the, the people first and sort of letting the, the company and the product like get handled as a result of like the people being kind of cared for in that way. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like having worked at, like I've had several internships and each of the company's cultures are obviously different, but like the ones where I feel like I'm actually like not just like a cog in a wheel and am as like valued as an employee, like that makes me want to like do a better job like in work and also like having such a mission driven company is just honestly like morale inspiring. So like those kind of factors together really makes you like appreciate like the role that you do have. Totally, totally. Yeah, working. I mean, I think startups in general, you usually have more, you know, say over or, or influence of the company just because you have a larger slice of the pie. So you're less likely to feel like a cog, like you said. Um, and I think that's awesome. That's very important to me as well. But, um, but, but like in general, I think um, like the, the startup kind of environment fosters that. But also what I was going to say, the having like a mission that you stand behind and that like motivates you to get out of bed every day is like really important because I think it's very easy. Like maybe at the uh, Salesforce consulting job, you weren't like jumping out of bed ready to like <laughs> take on that world. But like knowing every day that even like the small things you do on a day to day basis that might not feel super influential are ultimately like important to this company, which is really important to like the period care space, which is like important to the public health space. Like, I think it's really cool to be able to, to feel like you have ownership of that tiny slice of the world that's making a positive impact. Um, so that's really cool. It's really awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> Are you, um, in terms of like, the sustainability side of Viv, um, upon working there, have you like, I know you mentioned kind of in the beginning that you weren't really aware of like what was in period products until kind of talking to Katie and, and getting more sort of just information around that. Have you, since working at the company, made any like significant habit changes in terms of trying to be more sustainable or like engaging in any conversations that have really made you think differently about the sustainability space in general? Yeah, definitely. I, I will say, like, obviously, I'm nowhere near an expert, but, like, coming from, like, where I was before this internship to now, I've definitely, like, made strides. I think one thing that really helped with that was, like, we had a sustainability webinar with, like, several founders um, who are, like, leaders in the sustainability space and kind of hearing them talk about, like, what their companies um, were doing and was, like, super inspiring. And a lot of them mentioned, like, different ways that you could be more sustainable in your everyday life. Like, I think I hadn't even thought about like how wasteful like going to the store was and using like the plastic bags because I used to do that all the time. Um, and I'm trying to get better at it, like using like my re reusable bags. And I think like one of the biggest things is just understanding that like you don't need to make like a huge change in order to make a difference. Like if everyone just tried to switch to less wasteful bags, like that would make a huge difference in itself. And so like those small things are super helpful. And then I also think another way is that um, I'm like a very avid person, like online shopper. And I think that learning more about sustainability has like really pushed me to learn about like how wasteful the clothing industry is and like 
I am definitely guilty of like buying fast fashion and not to say that I don't like buy that anymore because it's old habits die hard but I think I'm definitely trying to learn more and like would love to like save to invest in like pieces that are might be more expensive but are definitely more sustainable and will probably last longer because they're made like by people in like a sustainable manner yeah I love that you you brought that up and especially just with like ways that you can incorporate sustainability into your lifestyle that don't like totally shake the foundation of how you live your life like it's not like you have to do everything a hundred percent perfectly all the time in order to make a difference like just making those small switches as often as you can and like choosing to invest in like more more expensive but like longer term pieces of clothing and things like that maybe doing some thrifting like I think there's a lot of like really creative ways that people are like making strides to become more sustainable and I think to your point like it's it's worth it in the long run both to have like nicer pieces of clothing that'll like last longer but also to know that you're kind of offsetting some of the the impact of the fast fashion industry and things like that um, yeah, definitely. Is fast fashion at all like a topic or just like, I guess it'd maybe be more like about big corporations and like factories and stuff, but is that at all talked about in the public health like space as like an industry or is that, that's probably pretty niche? I feel like it's probably pretty niche, but the one thing about public health is that I honestly think you could probably relate almost anything to public health. Like if you think about it, like fast fashion impacts the environment. Um, since like a lot of the clothes that are produced um, get thrown out and like put into landfills and might not be like compostable or like biodegradable and things like that which then in turn like affect like the atmosphere because of the pollution and things like that so not that I like I haven't personally talked about it in any of my classes but I do definitely see a link there yeah and I was also thinking just like with like how much water gets consumed in like that kind of thing and like accessibility to water and clean water. I don't know. I was just, my brain's just spinning. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to get my, my public health hat on because I'm really interested in it, but I've not yeah, had the sure. knowledge that you do. Um, yeah. Well, also I, I think another good point is that like the labor that's used in fast fashion is not equitable or like it's it just so like, manipulative of like human rights and things like that and so like when we have like economies that are entirely based on like child or like inhumane labor like there's a major problem there because then like those people are not being paid correctly so then they can't like achieve like health like good health on their own for them and like their families because of like the effect of like the economics of that too totally and probably even in factories being exposed to like harmful chemicals that can probably have like long-term environmental sort of impacts on the individual and then kind of like the areas and things like that. I think you read about like a lot of places that, you know, like will be in like the kind of, what's the word like for like the smog of like a factory or something like that, or like there'll be the chemical plants nearby and there's like adverse effects. That, that come to light like years later because because of those sort of like longer term or slower like effects um it's all related it is interesting how you can kind of yeah. <laughs> back to public health it's really cool yeah it's awesome <laughs> pulling back I, I i teased it earlier um i'd love to jump in talking a little bit about some of your entrepreneurial endeavors as well as maybe like you could talk a little bit about you know when you graduate next year like what, what would the ideal 
job or the ideal thing you'd be doing if you don't already have like concrete plans maybe just just humor us with like your hopes and dreams <laughs> yeah definitely sorry should I talk about like my food thing first or just like yeah, what sure, my future plans are so for so my friend and I from high school, Maddie, we both um, co-founded this food Instagram called Two Taste Buddies, and um, it kind of started out as um, a joke where we would just post like pictures of the food that we ate. But then we started realizing that like other food Instagrammers who are like really popular like posted photos that like we could easily take as well. And I was like, well, we should just like try to make this like an actual thing. And so we kind of went from like posting like badly lit pictures of our food to trying to edit them and like take nice angles and stuff like that. But then um, I think like almost like within a month, like our account kind of grew in popularity, I think largely fueled by the fact that I go to Northeastern and Maddie um, went to BC. And so like we had like built in audiences and like a niche of like college students who were looking to eat out in Boston um, for like an affordable price point, but also eat good food. And so from there, um, which we started it around like the end of our freshman year to now, like it has just exploded and we've been able to um, try so many foods across Boston and also work with like national brands and restaurants and things like that on campaigns to help promote their their food or like their like food related offerings and things like that and it's just been super cool to kind of be able to be creative but also be entrepreneurial by like sourcing and pitching ourselves um to these brands and like working with their PR teams and things like that and now we have a manager who kind of does like the back-end negotiations for us and so we can just like focus on the content creation and like delivery. That's so cool how something that you like started with your friend kind of just for fun like really blew up and like really became something substantial how do you see that like growing in the future do you see it kind of just sort of like are you focused more on wanting to stay in the in terms of uh two taste buddies like staying more content created like creator focused um do you see it like growing at all sort of in the background or like how do you see it kind of fold, unfolding from here on out yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. Maybe one that we're still trying to figure out ourselves. Maddie graduated last year and I'm, because I'm in the five-year program, I'm still here, but we're both in Boston right now. And so like this year, we kind of devoted to like as a final push um, towards like accomplishing like, I guess, success for the account. And that's not to say that like we're not going to keep working on it or things like that. But next year, I'm moving to New York for my job. So like we're going to be like split in terms of geography. But I think it could be really cool because that would open up like a whole new like audience market. Like there's a ton of colleges in New York and like young professionals. Like we're trying to shift towards aiming towards that demographic and marketing like post-work drinks or things like this. Obviously, after COVID is all like resolved. But um, I think that's like the ultimate goal is to kind of not just be confined to Boston anymore to expand like in geography and that's something we have seen success in because we are both from New Jersey so like we think like we do have a, a good enough audience in like, the tri-state area to make that happen and then like in speaking about COVID actually it's been very interesting because like we have a lot of really like strong relationships within the restaurant industry and I think that has been one of the most impacted um, industries because of COVID and like we're still seeing it now and honestly like I truly believe that if there's not some sort of like government package a lot of restaurants that we like know and love will no longer be here like after the pandemic so I think one unique thing about like two taste buddies is that we've been able to leverage our influence to help market restaurants that we like know and 
like um, promote to our followers the importance of doing takeout or like if you feel comfortable continuing to dine and like spend your money if you are able to to help these restaurants because ultimately like we feel like this is like one way that we can really give back to the restaurant industry that has helped us. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just going to ask about that because I know a lot of restaurants like had to either close down for, you know, portions of the sort of in and out of lockdown stages we've gone through and as well as just like restaurants going out of business because a lot of a lot of these restaurants, especially some of the more like hole in the wall places that we really like know and love like didn't have a strong like online presence and weren't known for takeout. Like it was more about the atmosphere. And I think that's really hard for restaurants to kind of stay dynamic when everything's now all going to takeout or especially now like in Boston as it's getting colder in the winter, like not having so many options for like outdoor dining and things like that. And it's really interesting that you guys were kind of able to, I guess, partner with organizations or um, restaurants in that sense and like help kind of get the word out and promote that um, and do do your part to kind of hopefully generate some more support because I know the restaurant industry is hurting and I, I'd hate to see like some of my favorite places closed down. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw a post like the other day on Instagram and it was like, so many people are like, if I had knew that restaurant was closing, like I would have gone to go eat there or take out. And like the reality is like, almost all of these restaurants are just on the brink just with all the restrictions around hours and like tables and stuff like that they're like nowhere close to being profitable like a lot of them are just barely like making even and so like one thing people have to realize is that the restaurant industry itself was like not an extremely profitable one to begin with like most restaurants I believe like 3% margins is the number um, that I like heard. I might be wrong, but um, I believe that's like the industry average. And so like that's nowhere close to what people like might perceive restaurants to be making. And now like with all the COVID issues, like they're definitely not even making that. And so it's, it's very hard to see that happening. And I, I obviously like, I don't have the right answer. Like if we should continue guiding out or things like that. But I think that like being aware of those things and like, choosing to support especially like those local restaurants the mom and pop ones like the ones that you frequent at college or things like that um and not necessarily like the national chains and and like ones like those like I think those could really make a difference totally you've just justified me ordering myself dinner (laughs) of making the dinner that I should definitely cook but don't (laughs) all the time I'm like I'm just supporting local businesses like it's the community it's not because I'm lazy and it's not because I don't want to eat healthy but it is it is wild to see like I, I hope for like the sake of all these companies either like the government can pull through with some kind of relief package or like we can find a safe way to like reopen because I mean what would most cities be without their restaurant scenes you know like it's such a huge component of any like that's what really makes a city unique like their the cuisine that they have and like the, the food and things like that so I hope I hope they can hang on a little bit longer yeah for sure especially because also like the people that work at restaurants depend on the restaurants to be successful to have employment so it's just such a trickle down effect like if we see restaurants continue to close then like those people are going to be negatively affected. And then that only impacts the economy further because then we have more people who are, um, who also need like bailout, who need like to collect unemployment and things like that. And so that's why I feel like without like some sort of government stimulus, like that's just the direction we're heading because like the, the restaurants can't even like continue to operate functionally, like at this level, in my opinion. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. That's a really good point about like, I mean, there are just so many people who work in the service industry who like, if the restaurants are closing down or even now, like I know a lot of people have had like hours cut and things like that because they just don't have people coming in and dining at the tables and things like that. And so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully a, a relief package is coming. Yeah. I wanted to ask you kind of, maybe this will be one of our last couple questions here. Obviously like Viv has a pretty strong like social media presence and obviously you have a, uh, you know, two taste buddies is like started on social media and is largely social media. How do you see, like, I think, I think a lot of people in generations above us are like a little bit confused or maybe surprised about like the, like how social media can be incorporated as a business model or as part of a business. And I just, you've had some perspective kind of from two very different ends of two different industries, I guess. What do you think like the future of like social media with like companies and and kind of um, consumer products is going to be like, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I think that's super interesting, like for better or for worse, like social media and its influence is here to stay. And I think um, in 2020, like I think a majority of companies have realized and acknowledged this. Um, I would say like even like maybe three, four years ago, companies were very like wary of like investing in social media marketing or like influencer marketing and things like that because they weren't really sure to tell how well like a return of on their investments would um pan out but I will have to say that I think social media marketing is truly like the, the next like it, it was already the big thing but it, it is like the one of the biggest avenues for like gaining new customers and like gaining revenue because the average person I don't know how many hours they spend but I definitely spend an embarrassing amount of time on social media and I think companies are really recognizing this like with Instagram recently rolling out updates for like the shopping page and their integration of like ads into TikTok and into Instagram um, I think those are like really big ones but I will I am a little biased since I am, I guess, like an influencer who does campaigns, but I will say influencer marketing is like one of the most effective ways to achieve like <clears throat> customer growth and things like that. Because for brands like Viv, where they're like smaller, but they have such a strong like brand presence, like we know who the Viv customer is and things like that. And we can cater all of our marketing and kind of copy and language and different like images towards that customer like people want to feel like they're following like a true authentic brand online and i know personally like their accounts that i love because they just are very real and they don't do those like polished images anymore it's more like your customers and like who is using your products and stuff like that and i think it's like really inspiring and definitely pushes me to like buy their products for sure so I think companies who are recognizing that and like leveraging that like they're definitely in a really great position yeah absolutely yeah I love that you brought up like like the really defined brand like that that Viv has in a lot of companies like have on social media and I think like for me as a customer one of the things that I've just more recently started to like really care about or think about when I'm shopping is like the company's mission and like kind of what they represent. And I love how social media kind of gives you more of a window into the company and gives you some more like, like with Viv, you see not only posts about products, but also like posts about like, you know, period poverty and all these different kinds of things that 
I really know what the, the brand stands for. And like, I can feel extra good, like being a consumer of that product because I know that the brand like believes in things that I identify with and things that I want to support. But on the other end of that, I also think it's really interesting kind of like with influencers kind of uh, having more of, obviously they have a huge following, but doing more like brand deals and things like that. It's really interesting to see like, influencers being really transparent about like what companies they work with and and why or why not so i think there's like a lot of accountability for kind of companies to be held to a certain standard as a result of the social media sort of presence nowadays yeah i definitely agree and in terms of accountability like if you think about it social media has created an avenue where people can really just like post something and that one post can be amplified by so much so like one bad customer experience with one product or brand can get reposted like thousands of times and seen like all over the internet and i think like brands realize that too so they are definitely like prioritizing customer experience like i think some of my favorite brands are the ones that will like respond to customer inquiries like on their twitters or like instagrams and and work towards like finding a solution for that customer because then it really shows that they're like prioritizing your customer experience and are committed to develop delivering like a really great product for you. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's, I also think like in general, I'm more inclined nowadays to shop smaller from like the fashion end of things we were talking about earlier, like sustainable fashion as opposed to fast fashion, but just in general feeling like I could email or reach out or tweet at a company that's like, you know, not some massive corporation. And like, if I had a problem, like a a human would talk to me, like someone would reach back out to me and like being able to kind of have almost like a human conversation with someone as opposed to just feeling like, I don't know if I got like a faulty or like a messed up piece of clothing from some cheap brand online. It would just be an arduous process of me like sending automated emails or something or just returning it. Yeah. So I do think that kind of like human aspect is really cool and really nice in terms of the accountability there as well. Yeah, definitely. I I highly encourage everyone to shop small and like it's so easy to like go online and look at the local stores near you if you're not comfortable like leaving your house. And so like that's really important. And also like all these small business owners, like especially people who create their own products, like the reason they're selling it is because they're proud of their product. So like they they want you to enjoy using it and they want you to have, have a good experience. So you know that it's like going to be super high quality and also just like you know a human made it not like a machine totally totally yeah i've been doing a lot of uh etsy shopping and like looking for some some smaller kind of companies and it's been really cool i've seen a lot of posts about like different black creators and like being able to kind of support um like black owned businesses which i think is really awesome and i love that like i feel like a lot of the accounts that i follow on instagram like are all supporting other small businesses. It's like a, just a really beautiful environment that like you don't see in like big corporations being like support other big corporations. Like that's not a thing. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really great way to discover other brands too. Like I know Viv is doing a bunch of giveaways with other small businesses. And I think like that's a great opportunity for people to see like, oh, I like Viv products. Well, if they support this brand, like I should try them as well. Totally, totally. Yeah, I've been watching those giveaways and like, I love how it's like it's not always like other like companies like in the exact same space but it's all like 
things I'd be interested in anyway, just because like, I mean, Viv has me like they, they, they know, they know exactly <laughs> like, what I'm going to fall for. Like you said, they got their brand. They know who the Viv couple is. It's me. But yeah, that's super true. I, I just like, I, I know that like, I think social media in general can be like a double-edged sword, but like for that kind of thing, for like just finding new companies, like two years ago, I never would have thought to like go to Instagram to try to find like a cool shop with handmade goods. And now I'm like, oh, someone will probably post about something I'm interested in. <laughs> and like, it's really cool to see how that's kind of transformed and made kind of an impact, I think, on some of those smaller businesses. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a prime example of like being able to amplify like one person's like response or like good experience. And that could like create like a really positive effect for that brand, like from one post. Totally. Totally. Uh, In the last few minutes here, is there anything that like you were hoping I was going to ask you about that I didn't ask you about any other kind of final thoughts or things you wanted to talk about before we sign off? I think we covered a lot of things unless you had like anything specific. No, I got through all my questions. I was going to save the infectious disease talk until the end, but then I got, I got excited. And I <laughs> earlier. Just has been, it's just been such an interesting topic that I think is obviously very timely. And I don't have a ton of people who are studying to be, to get their master's in public health. So I decided to really take this opportunity. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Well, this is great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk and um, thanks for, for sharing all your insights. Maybe before we, we sign off, you can just tell everyone where to find Two Taste Buddies and make sure everybody gives you a follow. Um, and thanks again for, for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Um, and if you're interested in following Two Taste Buddies, you can just type it in on Instagram. It's Two Taste Buddies spelled out. So like the number two, but T-W-O and then buddies is with a z so hopefully it's not too confusing for people that is awesome that is awesome i'm gonna give it a follow i don't think i followed (laughs) but i'm here in boston so i might as well definitely should (laughs) perfect